1: If this is your first time tuning into the program, first of all, I applaud your courage. <laughs> and it does take a little bit of courage. Yes, you're taking a risk. What kind of nonsense will I be spouting today? Ah, the usual stuff. I'll get to that in just a moment. Just know that my primary goal is to... Uh, I, I'm going to use this phrase because I heard this yesterday in, in a Sunday school lesson. Is to be a watchman. I want to I be one of those people who is is—is pointing out, hey... We ought to pay attention to that. That doesn't look right. Now, that's not for the purpose of scaring you, but more for the purpose of trying to convince you that it's best to assess these things and decide for yourself what's going on rather than wait for someone to feed you the narrative of, okay, everything's cool. And this is why this is happening. You know, um, frankly, right now we have a lot of people who are, are trying constantly to tell us about the evil or the danger embodied in the others, you know, and and they're doing it for the purpose of of us giving certain people authority over us in our lives maybe you've noticed i don't you know I don't, it's a, it's election season maybe that's just the kind of thing that goes around but if you're getting tired of it if if you want to buck the conventional wisdom that tells you it's your duty to to do this to give people authority over yourself maybe you're ready to step up and think for yourself and that doesn't mean agree with me you might, but then again, you might not. Thinking for yourself is simply having the confidence to trust what your heart is telling you is true and to trust your own mind to be able to sift fact from fiction, truth from error, and so forth. So, with a few, you know, little ground rules like that, that's that's what this program is about. I want to share information with you that will hopefully help you better understand the world around us, but also will hopefully help you understand that you have a unique mission to fulfill, a role to play that it may be big or it may be small, but it's essential. You are the only one who can do it. And a lot of people really don't want to accept that kind of responsibility. They've forgotten who they are. They've forgotten what it's like to to trust themselves or to see the world in a more positive light. Now, having said that, Some of the stuff I'm going to be sharing with you today is fairly heavy. It's it's because we live in a time where, you know, crisis is the norm. This this is just the state of the world that we're in. So this program should come off less as scary stories told around a campfire and more around, you know, a a thorough, no-crap assessment of here's what's happening. This is something we may want to pay attention to. But ultimately, it's up to you to decide what to do with that information. And and at the end of the day, you should be much more certain about who you are and what you stand for than simply who or what you're against. But above all, you got to learn to trust yourself. So with that in mind, let me thank my sponsors who make this program possible. They really do keep the wolf away from the door so that I can do this on a daily basis. They include Garage Door Pro Services, LifesavingFood.com, MonticelloCollege.org, at hslammo.com I thought I'd start out with a truth that I think will save you a lot of confusion and even frustration. You ready for it? There is no such thing as an objective journalist. I know. I know you're like, well, <laughs> no kidding, Sherlock, really. Uh, but if if you've been paying attention, you'd notice that in the last couple of years especially, through the COVID crisis and and through all the information that comes at us during election times, There is this mad battle over, well, we have to make sure the public is thinking correctly and that there's no misinformation and nobody's putting information out there that in some way distracts from the official narrative. I've never seen anything like it in my life. I'm in my mid-50s. I have been paying close attention for at least the last 30 years. I've never seen anything like it. And here I actually have a little platform from which to speak. And it it still just kind of blows my mind that this is what we've come to. So I wanted to share a couple of thoughts from Caitlin Johnstone. And I I love Caitlin Johnstone. I disagree with her on some things. I think, wow, okay, I, I totally can't go where she wants to go with this. But on other things, this woman has clarity. So just as I'm asking you to do with me, I'm saying, Reject the stuff you don't like. If it doesn't fit, that's okay. You don't have to accept it. But you might just find something that is like, wow, that one really rings true. It's, it's not an all or nothing thing, right? We're, we're, not, we're not perfect. So we all have, you know, there's some things that we know and some things that we're very qualified to speak on and some things we absolutely have figured out and other things we're still working on. So I afford that same luxury to anybody else just as I would want them to afford it to me. She starts with a quote from, uh, from Hunter S. Thompson. With the possible exception of things like box scores, race results, and stock market tabulations, there is no such thing as objective journalism. The phrase itself is a pompous contradiction in terms. And Caitlin Johnstone says, I feel like we haven't been talking enough about the fact that U.S. government agencies were just caught intimately collaborating with massive online platforms to censor content in the name of regulating the cognitive infrastructure of society. She says the only way you could be okay with the U.S. government appointing itself this authority would be if you believed the U.S. government is an honest and beneficent entity that works toward the benefit of the common man, which of course would be an unacceptable thing for a grown adult to believe. She says it's still astonishing that we live in a world where our rulers will openly imprison a journalist for telling the truth and then self-righteously bloviate about the need to stop authoritarian regimes from persecuting journalists, and she gives you examples of what that looks like. Now, she says there is no such thing as unbiased journalism. If someone tells you they're unbiased, they're either knowingly lying or they're so lacking in self-awareness that you shouldn't listen to them anyway. And the divide is not between biased journalists and unbiased journalists. It's between journalists who are honest and transparent about their biases and journalists who are not. Oof, that, that one rings true. She says there are no unbiased journalists. There are no unbiased people. And you're either honest about this or you're not. Now, of course, journalists should try to be as fair and honest as they can. That's it's just the epitome of childlike naivety to believe that the Western media or Western mainstream journalists do this. Reporters who support the mainstream worldview are just as biased as reporters from Russia or Chinese uh, Chinese state media. They espouse a particular or peculiar perspective and concrete interests and agendas. But the problem is, the mainstream worldview is so normalized, it looks like impartial reality. So you'll get mainstream Western journalists speaking disdainfully of Julian Assange or the Gray Zone or whoever, because these people have biases and and agendas. As though they themselves have no biases or agendas or are nothing more than impartial arbiters of absolute reality. Oof, I see that attitude a lot. But as Caitlin Johnstone points out, this is plainly ridiculous. The worldview which facilitates the abuses of oligarchy and empire and status quo politics, which serves as their vehicle, is anything but impartial. It's not even sane. But because it's been normalized by propaganda, it looks like baseline reality. Now listen to this next part. The only reason the mainstream worldview is mainstream is because the world's most powerful people have poured a tremendous amount of money into making it mainstream. That's the one and only reason. It's not the moderate perspective. It's just the most funded and marketed perspective. So all journalists have biases. All journalists have agendas. It's just that most of them have the mundane agenda of becoming esteemed and well-known. And the easiest way to do that is to espouse the mainstream worldview where the tide of propaganda can carry you to the shore. The easiest way to become rich and famous in news media is to promote the interests of the rich and powerful people who own and influence the news media. And the easiest way to become reviled and marginalized is to attack those interests. But she says your values determine which path you choose. Now, you're probably not aspiring to be, you know, a media figure, but does that not make sense? Anderson Cooper, oh, he's a good-looking dude. He's well-spoken, and, you know, he seems to know his stuff. Yeah, you remember, too, he also worked for the CIA. Maybe still does. I don't know. Just saying that uh, wouldn't it be curious if if his views or the views that he espouses or promotes or uh, reinforces through his program just happen to coincide with what, uh, you know, certain people in certain shadowy national security organizations would want to have out there in front of the public. I'm sure it's just a huge coincidence, right? I mean, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Okay, sarcasm off. Isn't that powerful, though? There is no such thing as an unbiased journalist. So the trick is not to find somebody who is totally objective. Find somebody who can tell you about what's going on and and cop to their own biases. who will be honest. who will be transparent about, okay, this is where I'm coming from. Now, you're not going to find people in the mainstream media doing this because, you know, there's an orthodoxy. There's, there's dogma that has to be enforced. There's wokeness that must be, uh, you know, observed and... and Sorry, I'm, I, I want to use religious terms here, and I, I really don't want to go there. But nonetheless, there's a narrative they have to maintain, and it's their job to make sure that you and I don't stray from that narrative. Find the ones who will tell you the
0: things that uh, the powerful don't want you to know. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. And thanks
1: once again for taking a chance on this little program of mine. I want to mention garagedoorproservices.com. They are one of my primary sponsors on the show. Serving St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Colorado City, that beautiful corner of color country down in southwestern Utah and northern Arizona, and also a little slice in Nevada there, too. Now, what they do is they install, they service, they repair garage doors. They do commercial service. They do residential service. If you'd like to get in touch with them, just pick up the phone and call 435-525-2773. Better still, go to their website at Services. Com. So spending a little time on, uh, on thinking for yourself or, again, seeing through the smoke screen of this is what you must believe that uh, is being blown at us 24-7 by mass media. I don't think there's ever been more effort or money being used to try to shape what's considered acceptable opinion. And I've got an article here from Todd Hyen from the uh, offguardian.org website, which, by the way, is a marvelous resource. This is an essay titled Believe It or Not. wish I could say it like Robert Stack, right? He says, I have a confession to make. I do not believe most of what I hear. Now, he says, that doesn't mean I think it's false or untrue. I just don't believe it is true. Neither true or untrue, neither fact or fiction. In fact, he says, since all this COVID caca began, I've adopted the phrase, consider everything, believe nothing. Which basically means I don't commit to much of anything, but I keep an open mind. He says, it's always worked pretty well for me, albeit a bit wishy-washy. But he says, I don't really start believing something unless I have seen some pretty compelling evidence in support of it. Or someone I trust says or writes it. Or there's so much science behind it. By the way, that's not in quotation marks. uh, It would be impossible not to believe. And also things that I've experienced directly, I tend to believe. But even that could be dicey. Now, he says, I can be pretty sure of some things or even pretty sure something isn't kosher, but I tend to always keep an open mind unless something moves into the believed category or the not believed category. But even then, I can always change my mind. Believable and unbelievable stuff can be found on the sheep side as well as on the shrew side. And as you all know, the shrew side can have some pretty scoogly stuff to assess. So don't get me wrong. I love it when people have theories and ideas that contradict the mainstream, even really weird ones, but... Honestly, can't I save judgment for later? Do I have to say I believe everything to stay in the clubhouse? Okay, I'm going to hit the brakes on this real quick and just say, have you found yourself in that situation? Someone presents you with, uh, with an idea. I'll give you this example. Um, I attended a conference a few years ago in Fillmore, Utah. And uh, there, were, there was a conversation going on at lunch. And uh, an argument started over you know whether 9-11 was an inside job. And, you know, it's people can differ on this. And, I, by the way, I take Todd Hyens' uh, uh, approach, here, which is, I don't know. I certainly don't think we have all the answers, but I can't say, oh, yeah, definitely was. Because I really don't know. But, I mean, I thought it was going to come to blows. I thought that a couple of these individuals were going to go outside and settle it, you know, with fisticuffs. And it stems from the idea that, uh, well, you need to you need to agree with me or disagree with me right now. In other words, it's very cut and dried. Paul Rosenberg... Uh, taught this this technique, which I have found very useful if you find yourself in a situation where someone is really pressuring you. Can't you see? Can't you see this is the truth? Can't you see Donald Trump is literally Hitler? Whatever, you know, whatever the, the, it is they're pushing. And and the simple way to, to, to avoid having to commit to something you don't really believe in or, you know, otherwise rise to the argument of, of trying to defend something that, again, you know, maybe you don't even believe in, in the opposite of it, is to simply tell them, I don't know if I agree with that. I'll have to think about it. Or you can simply say, let me think about that. We can talk at another time. I know it sounds too simple and maybe some people just see it as an avoidance thing, but it really works. And, and do you really want to commit to something just because, well, somebody wants to argue and I guess I'm duty bound to jump in there and do it? Not really. Okay, back to Todd Hyen's article. He says, on my substack, I wrote an article about Geert van den Bosch's theories regarding the immune escape of the virus. And he says, I got an angry comment informing me there is no virus and there never has been a virus. And my article was completely whacked because to believe anything I said, one would have to believe in untruth that viruses actually exist. Now, Todd says, I tried to defend myself as well as the point of my article, but to no avail. She unsubscribed in a huff. And the irony is, if I had to pick a side right now, I would probably, probably pick terrain theory over germ theory. I was introduced to this concept 20 years ago when my wife was dying of cancer. He says, I did a deep dive into Royal Rife's work and was convinced a lot of his theories and methods were right on. Germ theory versus terrain theory is a big part of that Rife world, and it fascinated me. So, he says, my article on Bosch and his virus exploits, well, yeah, I cover all sides, I think Bosch's work is very interesting, even though it resides in the forbidden realms of germ theory. That doesn't mean I can't look at it, write about it, and ponder about it, does it? In fact, he asks, how about you reading this? Do you believe everything on this side of the fence we're expected to believe? How far down the rabbit hole are you willing to go? Where do you stop believing? Where do you stop even considering? And where down there do you say, this is all nonsense? Lisa well, for some reason, I don't seem to get to the nonsense point. I'm fascinated by everything and I'm willing to look at it all. Flat earth, fairies, aliens, lizard people, the Pope being a pedophile, whatever. He says, I consider everything, but I don't believe all of it. Do you? He says, there's an old bit of wisdom that says nothing is 100% anything, meaning that the entire world can't be evil or the entire government can't be corrupt or all of medicine can't be off base and ineffective and on and on. Now Todd Hyen says, I believe in a broad sense this is probably truer than not, but I do wonder about nuance and detail. He says, Was there a good side to Adolf Hitler? Well he did like dogs or so it seemed. How about Stalin? He read a lot. How could anyone who reads a lot be all bad? Now he says I sprinkle a little bit of this wisdom into the consideration of strange ideas and theories. Dr. Carl Jung, the eminent Swiss psychiatrist and founder of archetypal uh, depth psychology, says the true spice of life lies in the tension of the opposites. And the truth, and probably truth, lies there as well in most cases. But this tension is the gray area between two opposing dogmas. And he says, I suppose it's dogma that sets me off. I shy away a bit from people who are so rigid they can't even discuss a controversial situation. The same goes for information. For example, I don't spend a lot of time looking at the sheep side of all of this. Been there, done that. I don't try to find the good or the facts in the mainstream agenda about the virus or the good to side to vaccines or censorship or corruption. Now, he says, maybe I'm wrong not to spend more time seeing their point of view. But if something that came came along that was significant, well, I would certainly give it a peek. He says, I do entertain the very slight possibility that many of these puppet masters are ignorant don't really know what they're doing. That is largely how cult psychology works. I even believe that Big Pharma has done some good things in the world. Same with big medicine. But he says, I also don't spend a lot of time going too far down the rabbit hole. Maybe that's wrong as well, but I just don't have the time. I don't bash the believers down there, but I don't say much about what they believe either because I've simply not thoroughly investigated their position. He says, I was interviewed on Germ Warfare a while back and made some comment about Epstein and his notorious island. Everyone associated with Epstein is largely considered a pedophile. I said, I'm not so sure that is true, but then added, I haven't really investigated the whole thing thoroughly. And he says, I was blasted for this. You should know more about Epstein. Then you would know the truth. Well, Todd Hyen says, well, maybe so, but... I choose not to investigate everything that thoroughly, not because it doesn't matter, but because I'm interested in other things. So, what do we do with all of this? He says, you just simply have to learn to say the words, I simply don't know. We should allow ideas to breathe, he says, and we should rub our chin about the weird ones we don't fully understand at our first encounter with them. But he says, I don't think we have to claim loyalty to everything that comes along within our circle. And at the same time, we should refrain from bashing contradictory ideas that come into the discussion. That is such sound advice. You don't have to believe. You don't have to be on board with every idea that comes along in order to consider yourself devoted to the cause. Study things out before you develop that very sure opinion.
0: Yeah, it's a little more work, but it's worth it. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show.
1: Uh, things are sure getting interesting right now. Tomorrow is uh, midterm election day. And, yeah, there's a lot of anticipation. There is so much, you know, predicting a giant red wave washing over the country. And, you know, on, on the one hand, I would like to see a lot of the troublemakers currently in office swept away. I really would. I think that uh, I think we've reached a point where, where the people who the people who were, were vexing us so badly this last couple of years, they need to be shown the door. I think that's the very least that we can do as voters. In fact, what was the quote I saw? Oh, it, was a, it was a meme somebody had shared. Vote as if your business is closed, your children are locked out of school, your family member is alone in the hospital and you're not allowed to be there, and you have to show a passport to eat because the same people who did this are on your ballot. Vote them out. By the way, that includes Democrats and Republicans alike. I would like to see some some really good change come along this time. And I don't mean, you know, necessarily that we'll just vote the right people in and everything's going to magically be fixed. Uh, I've kind of resigned myself to the idea that uh, I don't think the corrupted system itself can be fixed. But at least we could remove the real serious abusers from power. And that would be a good start. More importantly, maybe we'd start to consider, hey, do I really need these people telling me how to run my life? Or insisting that, well, you know... If 50% plus one say that uh, I'm the person, you have to do everything I say, I beg to differ. There's a little thing called consent. And without my consent, you may not legitimately govern me. So you better make a good case for why you deserve my consent. And then I will decide whether or not I will give it. Now, of course, in some people's eyes, well, gee, Brian, that that makes you some kind of an election denier. Well, if you say this person didn't win the, le- the election, legit, or they, you don't owe them your fealty, you're a denier, man. You're spreading the big lie. <laughs> By the way, that is the big term right now we're hearing. I know there are, there are a number of races going on throughout the country. I see it here in Idaho even. Well, you know, of course, uh, his opponent is an election denier, as if that's, you know, everybody knows what that means and what that, what that entails. So let's dive into this for a moment. Why do so many or why do so few Americans, for that matter, actually believe that the last election was fair and honest? Got a great article here by Jack Gleason. This was published on AmericanThinker.com. To save our republic, citizens must act. And there are some very good reasons for doubt. He says, in the Revolutionary War, battles weren't fought by trained soldiers, but by citizen sentinels. Ordinary people from all walks of life who took up arms to win their independence from the British. Now, they were outmanned, outtrained, outgunned, and things didn't go well, but eventually... We won our freedom and we were able to create one of the most successful forms of government in history. Now, he says, our founders were brave and brilliant. They knew from history that most revolutions fail, but they still risked their lives and everything they owned by signing the Declaration of Independence. In their wisdom, they understood that any government they established would eventually grow to such a huge size that it would corrupt the people who run it. We were not named America but the United States of America because the federal government was meant to facilitate the various states working together, not to rule them. Each colony was formed independently with its own laws and structures. None would have joined the union if they were forced to give up their individuality. But Jack Gleason says, now we're facing the crisis that our founders predicted. Our government and the bureaucracy they created is controlling more and more of our everyday lives and power has been centralized in the few for their own self-serving goals, not for the benefit of the people they're supposed to serve. He says, throughout our history, whenever we were unhappy with our representatives in Washington, D.C., we had the chance to vote them out in the next election. Our founders knew that the sanctity of each individual vote was the only thing saving our country from the ongoing political violence they observed as the means of changing course in the rest of the world. But the thousands of 2020 election irregularities and the illegal rule changes that preceded it have created great doubts in the fairness of our elections. In the past, if you didn't like what was happening in your city, state or county, you could organize with your friends and lobby others to vote your way in the next election. And if your side lost in a fair vote, you would just say, oh, well, we'll try again next election and move on. William Sullivan, in his American Thinker article, The Big Lie About the Big Lie, and Robert J. Hutchinson with his how, much, how We Must Restore, let's try that again, We Must Restore America's Faith in Its Elections, rather, explain how only a small percentage of Americans are confident that this last election was fair and honest. Now, this is despite two years of mass media, big tech, and Democratic Party insistence that 2020 was the most secure election in history. We all saw what was going on with our own eyes, and no amount of threats and intimidation will convince us otherwise. The surest tell for a lie is what the accused does when confronted with the evidence. An innocent man says, I will open my, all my books and let you see for myself, I'm sorry, I will open all my books and let you see for yourself that I am honest, while the guilty man will hide the evidence, delay any investigation, and attack anyone who seeks the truth. Well, Jack Gleason says, sadly, it looks as though the 2022 elections are shaping up to be as bad or worse than 2020. Facebook is already warning Americans not to expect the results to be known until days or weeks later. Despite the fact that throughout most of our history, the results have been declared hours after the polls have closed. The big tech giants seem to be gearing up for full suppression of any hints that we may not agree that the counts are accurate. Now, our only response must be to rise up as citizen sentinels. Not in violence, as the Democrats would do, but to use our brains and common sense to thwart the coming efforts at cheating and to demand a fair count of every legal vote. We were caught by surprise in 2020, but we can be prepared in 2022. Our weapons are our smartphones, our high-speed internet, and our circle of honest-minded friends. So he says, if you're lucky enough to be a poll worker, videotape and photograph any irregularities you come across. If you live near a ballot box, hang around at night and record what you see. If someone is walking around your apartment building knocking on doors, get his picture. Do this with your personal safety in mind. Don't be obvious. Don't get caught. And as soon as you can, upload your evidence to the censorship-free websites like Rumble and Bitchute. Also, share on social media, including Facebook and Twitter. This creates a chain of evidence that will prove your videos weren't manipulated in any way. Finally, share your findings with a circle of honest friends and encourage them to download your evidence and then share on the mega platforms and with their own friends. The goal is to amass such a huge body of evidence of fraud that no one can deny the proof. If we can get just one state to identify and prove voter fraud and how it was perpetrated, the other, perpetrated rather, the other states will follow and the entire house of cards will come tumbling down. If the evidence is there but is being ignored, well, then we need to take to the streets, again, not with violence, but with the quiet resolve that we won't let our votes be stolen ever again. Our country runs on the cooperation of our citizens. If we refuse to cooperate in a fraud by staying home from work, by not driving goods to market by truck, by peacefully protesting in so many places that traffic can't get by, and identifying the infiltrators who try to incite violence we can quickly bring the country to a halt and pressure our legislators and judges to look into the evidence and take the proper action. Jack Gleason says, the only way we can lose complete control of our country and doom our children to a life of tyranny is to cooperate when someone tries to steal our right to free and fair elections. I know that's going to strike some people as a little bit radical, but uh, that strikes me as a pretty reasonable way to approach this. And the crazy thing about it is, even states that uh, that seem to be, you know, very solid. I'm, I'm going to point at Utah for a moment here. When citizens stepped up and started asking questions, can we see the proof that everything was on the up and up in 2020? That is when, uh, that's when, I don't know, the the establishment types, Governor Cox and his, uh, his lieutenant governor circled the wagons. Why, our state is the gold standard of elections, and of course everything's fine. But uh, seriously the intimidation that they engaged in and and the the thwarting and trying to to delay people well it's going to cost you this much and it's going to take this much time and just anything they could to stall it it didn't come off as wow if you really have a gold standard you know election system and you're proud of it and how transparent and how honest it is it seems that you wouldn't resort to those kind of tactics And I use, I use Utah as an example because Utah is a pretty red state and you know, it's, it's not like uh, you'd expect a lot of revolutionary, you know, monkey wrenching going on there. But now there's a pretty big question mark that I know hangs over a lot of those political leaders heads and rightly so. Do we really just trust them? I don't think so. I think Jack Gleason's got the right idea. If you're going to be a poll worker, hopefully you can get in there. And if you see something that looks wrong, uh, Blow the whistle on it. Isn't it interesting in some states where people have been, uh, you know, like the the election ballot drop boxes, there's actually been at least one judge who's issued a restraining order preventing anybody from monitoring these boxes. Why would they do that? I know, it's, it's just one judge, but again, it sure seems like something screwy is going on there. And somebody doesn't appreciate us asking questions, which to me is the perfect excuse to ask a
0: lot more and very pointed questions. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again, a quick shout out here
1: for HSLammo.com. Also want to uh, mention MonticelloCollege.org and LifesavingFood.com. Especially uh, LifesavingFood.com, man, if you haven't been thinking about and preparing and getting yourself some food storage, you're you're probably going to regret it if you you put it off. I'm guessing, though, if you listen to this program, if you're even giving this program a shot, you probably have some inkling of, you know, I'd probably be better off to take care of uh, me and my own, and that's a good way to get started on that. So all I'm going to say is, I'm not trying to scare you, but don't delay. There are a lot of uh, teetering pieces there that a lot of dominoes getting ready to fall, and and things could start popping pretty quickly. Diesel shortages, you know, food shortages, things like that. Um, they they will go hand in hand. Let's be very careful, and let's uh, let's make sure that we're not caught unawares. Now, having scared having uh, scared you there or shared this that scary bit of information. Let me ask you this. Who keeps stoking the fears of nuclear war? I hear this from a lot of sides, but I've got a great article here from Moon of Alabama calling out the Biden administration for planting false nuclear scare stories in order to keep us frightened. By the way, Moon of Alabama, uh, I I I, I don't know the, the, the guy's name who writes this blog. I just know it as the Moon of Alabama blog. Clearly former military, seems to have a pretty good grasp of, of strategy and logistics and and everything that goes into you know military policy. And this has been a pretty reliable source. I've only seen a couple of things that I was like, okay, that didn't pan out but for the most part I think this this is a very reliable source to consider. So for if you're if you're a wrong thinker this may be a resource you could use. Moon of Alabama says last month I dissected the fear-mongering the Biden administration released over alleged, Russian nuclear threats. And this is a quote from that that, uh, particular blog entry. The report quotes Biden as saying, Putin is not joking when he talks about potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons, because his military is, you might say, as you might say, is significantly underperforming. Again, this is Biden talking. Fact is that Putin has not talked about the potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons, not at all says Moon Moon of Alabama. All the warmongering talk, all the reports about Russia's alleged threat of nuclear weapon use in Ukraine is totally unfounded. But the Western media suddenly engage in it. Just shows that it's part of a well-directed propaganda campaign. Now, he says, I speculated that the intent of the campaign was to prepare for some false flag incident in Ukraine. Two weeks later, the Russian secret services found out that Ukraine was preparing a dirty bomb which would spread radioactive substances with the help of chemical explosives. Now, such bombs are not a meaningful military threat, but they have a high scare value. If it would use one of those, the Ukraine would surely blame Russia for launching such a bomb. And when the Kremlin found out what Ukraine had planned, in it... It ordered uh, Russia's Ministry of uh, Defense, Sergei Shoigu, and Chief of Staff, Valery Gerasimov, to call their peers in the U.S., Turkey, Britain, and France. Shoigu called the U.S. Defense Secretary, Lloyd Austin, twice. Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu spoke with U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Sunday for the second time in three days and held a flurry of calls with three other counterparts from NATO countries. Moscow provided no details on the conversation with Austin, which came after the two men spoke on Friday for the first time since May. Its readouts on the other calls said Shoigu had had said the situation in Ukraine was worsening. Shoigu spoke separately to Turkey's defense minister, Hulusi Akar, and Britain's Ben Wallace. Shoigu's ministry said that he had told his French, Turkish, and British counterparts of Moscow's concern that Ukraine could detonate a dirty bomb, a device laced with radioactive material. Russia has provided no evidence to substantiate such a claim. Now, Moon of Alabama says, look, calls on such high levels are only done for serious business. They're not done for propaganda value or to warn of non-existing threats. The fact that these calls happened means that the threat from Ukraine was real. The calls seem to have had the desired effect. For a few days, the talk of a dirty bomb calmed down, but now it's been revived. So the Washington Post just recently, as well as the New York Times, are back fear-mongering about the alleged threats which Russia has never made. Both stories are based on administration officials, meaning that the Biden administration has planted these stories. Russia's dirty bomb threats challenge the nuclear calculus. That's from the Washington Post. U.S. officials still maintain that Moscow is unlikely to go nuclear in Ukraine, but Washington doesn't have many good options to prevent Putin's worst intentions. The dirty bomb speculation is tied to comments made by Russian defense minister Sergei Shoigu and repeated last week by Putin, suggesting that Ukraine planned to detonate a device loaded with fizzle material on its own territory. U.S. officials believe it's more likely that Russia's warnings were in fact the opening steps of a false flag operation, signaling the Kremlin's intentions to use such a weapon and blame Ukrainians for the fallout, literally. Now, Moon of Alabama says Russia has not intensified its nuclear rhetoric. And since the Ukraine's push into the empty East Kharkov region came to a halt in late September, has not seen any recent battlefield setbacks. All attempts by Ukraine to break through the front lines have been defeated at high cost for the attacking Ukrainian units. Russia is in fact strengthening its front lines as more and more of the 300,000 mobilized reservists join its forces. It has degraded the Ukraine's transport and communication infrastructure by destroying some 40% Of the country's 330 kilovolt electric substations now the destroyed transformers are soviet-era equipment without a western substitute and there is no timely way for ukraine to replace them russia has done this on the cheap by using iranian suicide drones in exchange iran will receive su-35 fighter jets the financial damage of these strikes to ukraine is much higher than the costs are for russia so Moon of Alabama says there's absolutely no reason for Russia to think of using anything nuclear. It would contradict its policies and doctrines without giving it any advantage. If in mid-October Russian military leaders indeed talked to each other about something nuclear, it's much more likely that they talked about Ukrainian or U.S. weapons than of the ones that their country owns. So the core question in all this remains the same as a month ago. Why is the Biden administration doing this? Why is it planning stories about non-existing Russian threats. Now, during a recent talk Russia's Russia's President Vladimir Putin gave at the Valdai Club, he was asked the same question, and he answered it. So here's the question. Ivan Safranchuk, Safranchuk, M-G-I-M-O, University. Nuclear rhetoric has intensified greatly as of late. Ukraine has moved from irresponsible statements to the practical preparation of a nuclear provocation. Representatives of the US and the UK are making statements with suggestions of the possible use of nuclear weapons. Biden, let's say, speaks about nuclear Armageddon, and straight away there are comments in the US that there is nothing to fear. At the same time, the US is hurrying to deploy modernized tactical nuclear bombs in Europe. It looks like they're rattling the saber while refusing to acknowledge the lessons of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Mr. President, could you please comment, is it true? that the world is on the verge of the possible use of nuclear weapons. How will Russia act in these circumstances, given that it is a responsible nuclear state? Thank you. Putin's response. Look, as long as nuclear weapons exist, there will always be a danger that they could be used. This is the first thing. Second, the goal of the current fuss around such threats and the potential use of nuclear weapons is very primitive. And I would probably not be mistaken when I explain what this is about. I already said that the dictate of the Western countries and their attempts to apply pressure on all the participants of international communication, including countries that are neutral or friendly to us, are achieving nothing. And they are looking for additional arguments to convince our friends or neutral states that they all need to confront Russia collectively. Nuclear provocation and the inflaming of the probability that Russia might theoretically use nuclear weapons are being used to reach these goals, to influence our friends, our allies, and neutral states by telling them... Look at whom you support. Russia is such a scary country. Do not support it. Do not cooperate with it. Do not trade with it. This is, in fact, a primitive goal. What is happening in reality? Putin says, after all, we have never said anything proactively about Russia potentially using nuclear weapons. All we did was hint in response to statements made by Western leaders. As for Russia, we have the military doctrine and they should read it. One of its articles explains the cases when, why... In relation to what and how Russia considers it possible to use weapons of mass destruction in the form of nuclear weapons to protect its sovereignty, territorial integrity, and to ensure the safety of the Russian people. End quote. Now look, you may say, that's just pure propaganda. Maybe it is. But let's at least consider it. Moon of Alabama says, the answer Putin gave seems plausible to me. I, have, I still have to find a better one. He says to me, "This all looks very lowbrow, demented, and indeed primitive. When one reads these planted stories and checks their veracity, one ends up shaking one's head. No serious person or foreign country will be influenced by such nonsense. What the stories really show is that the neocons in the Biden administration have no real instruments left and no abilities to influence the execution of further Russian plans in Ukraine." And he says in a month or two, when Russian troops will throw the Ukrainian army out of Donetsk and other regions, there will be nothing left for them to say. I don't share that with you as, well, that's the truth and you better believe it. But I am offering it to you as one other very possible viewpoint that is worth your consideration. What you do with this information,
0: that's up to you. This is The Brian Hyde Show.